0: Hey there, I'm Sarah Petty, the founder of Nourish and Connect and Power at Movement Co. And this is Nourish and Connect Diverse Dialogues. This podcast is a collaborative effort between myself, Angel Austin, and Christine Walker McSpadden. Here you'll find those messy conversations that connect the dots between fat liberation, body positivity, intuitive eating, and the reminder that we have this one life to live and you're the only one who has to live it in your body. So grab a snack and a cup of tea and let's dive in. Welcome back to Nourish and Connect Diverse Dialogue. We are talking today about why it's hard to listen to your body and we've got lots of reasons for that. So this is going to be a series of episodes and the first one we're talking about is when you are fat and how being fat and living in a world that is constantly telling you lots of things about that makes it a lot harder to listen to your body. So... We're going to kind of go through a short summary and then kind of explore what that feels like on a personal level. I was thinking
1: about how last night I was video chatting with a friend and we were talking about all the ways that we see ourselves, you know, and the conversations that we have with ourselves in our head about what we should be and what we should be doing and how should we, we should be moving in the world and like beating ourselves up about that. And I think sometimes we get caught in a trap of feeling like there's a way we should be moving that looks like something that we've seen, right? Like when you show up to a class, there's just things that are drilled into our head over years, how moving for stamina or all these things look like. And so that we feel that if we're not doing that, we're not doing it long enough, we're not doing it, uh, and the way that we're seeing it done, then it's not valid for us. It's not effective. And the example my friend used other uh, last night when we were talking was going to Costco and using a a motorized scooter. And she was saying that um, when she first started doing it, she had a lot of internalized fat phobia and ableism around having to need it, right? But just like with anything in life, for fat people, what we have to do is have these conversations with ourselves, in our community, about what we actually need and how it doesn't have to look like what we even we perceive it to be, you know, whether it be movement or just being able to move around the world at all doesn't have to look like what we see.
0: Yeah. And my own experience with growing up and being told, you know, you you shouldn't be tired or you shouldn't be hungry or you shouldn't be any number of things because you're fat or because Um, This is the expectation of performance for today. Like we have things Mm -hmm. to do, or we're going to be eating soon. So ignore your hunger for now. Or you haven't got you haven't moved much today. So I don't know that actually anyone ever said that to me. But just as an example, it's, Mm -hmm. I think, a common experience to be like, well, you haven't moved around yet today. So why don't you go and it's hard to tune into your own understanding and learn how to listen to what your body is saying. And but and for people that maybe struggle with listening to their body, what I mean by that is paying attention to physical sensations that are coming through like a sense of restlessness, a sense of hunger, a sense of thirst, a sense of pain, those types of experiences and then learning how to translate that into what do I need to do about this or do I need to do anything about this? It's really hard to develop that skill. If you're constantly told what to do and when to do it and when you shouldn't be doing it and how you should be feeling and how you shouldn't be feeling, it's very difficult to learn how to think for yourself and to actually pay attention to what's going on in your own body when you're constantly controlled like that and and how you were saying angel in relation to movement Mm -hmm. or this expectation of, you know, performing a certain way when you're shopping at the grocery store. It's really difficult to pay attention to what your body needs and was asking for when you... Are constantly comparing those needs to what you, your perception is of what you're supposed to need or what you're supposed to want. Yeah.
1: Well, a friend did say, she said, I'm completely dissociated from my body and what it needs. Always kind of going back and forth between the desire to change her body and to lose weight and to, you know, and as somebody that knows what that's like, I can speak to it from my own experience, but I think it's so important. We talked a little bit about it in previous podcasts about or episodes about grace, you know, and understanding where a person's coming from, what they're feeling, and the reasoning behind all of that, and how it's so important. It's like a really huge step in getting to a place to where you are more connected with your body, learning how to not beat yourself up. Like you said, when you look out and the perceptions of what you think are acceptable or viable or whatever. Um, that you can't perform that and getting curious about what it is that you actually need and talking about it and like talking with other people who have similar needs or similar experiences and reinforcing that, I feel like is the only way to even begin to give yourself permission to do what you need to do for yourself.
0: Let's talk more about dissociation because I think that's a big, big feature in this topic. Why is dissociation so prevalent? and then secondarily why is it actually a protective mechanism that we shouldn't necessarily demonize but we can learn to understand and work with
2: i mean i think for me it comes from a place of necessity from the time you're small and a lot of us that are adults in fat bodies have been fat our whole lives to different different sizes throughout our whole lives but i've been fat since i was a kid and you're pretty much told from the beginning that that's the way it's done. You dissociate from hunger, you dissociate from your pain, you dissociate from all these things that we're told that make us fat, because fat and our body is the problem. And the only way to get through your day is to not think about that. As As my mom likes to say, buck up, right? You're told constantly, for many reasons, but I'll use it for here, to sort of buck up from the very beginning, just, you gotta get through, you gotta do it, this this is part of it. Dissociation, especially those that are socialized as feminine, as female, it's taught very young. Buck up, get through it, this is how you exist, this is how you get through your day.
1: It's especially harmful around people who you, usually it's people that you love, that you respect, that you care about what they think about you, I know in my early life, there's so many examples of ways that I had to just cope. Because um, if I felt the feeling or said the things, it would be deemed disrespectful. I'd be embarrassed, it would be tension. I know my grandfather, who I love, obviously. My cousin and I were both fat when we were growing up. She's about two years older than me. And we walked through the house and he had this thing where he would talk about our bodies And try to see, like, for as the years would progress, who was bigger, which was so weird to me, right? So we'd be walking through the house. He called me Cookie. And uh, he'd say, Cookie, how much you weigh? He said, look like you you about to catch up with Melissa, which is my cousin. And then when, you know, our bodies would change and maybe she was bigger than I was, he'd be like, look like you about to catch up with. Like, it was like this thing. And so what do you do when, like, you live in a house with these people and you're walking through the house and they have something to say about your weight and you're like eight years old or nine years old? 10 years old you know what I mean like you have to like develop a like a thick skin and just kind of grin and bear it because what do you say when you're a kid like don't talk about me like that this makes me like how do you even get the words to describe I'm 50 years old and I'm just like talking about this stuff now and I don't even know what to call it you know like I know how it made me feel but in the moment how would I have the language
2: even especially as a a child when you're taught to believe that your body is everybody else's business yep Mm -hmm. you don't have ownership over your own body and thoughts and all of that and that everybody else gets to have an opinion and they get to tell you what that opinion is and that needs to become yours you don't get ownership over yourself till you're an adult and you're grown Mm -hmm. um and by then you know that damage is done
1: yeah i can't name how many times or count how many times my mom told me, You ain't got no feelings. I would say I feel like or I think that whatever she's like, You ain't got no feelings. You know, like right. to, as you say, you're a kid, like you have no say in anything. That is so true. That is so true.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like there's so many layers with this in terms of just like family wounds that are passed down that have nothing to do with being fat, but then they show up in the way we are criticized in our bodies um as children and then also as adults like I was as you were talking I was thinking as a kid it's like your body is everyone's problem and you're commented on by all the family around you and all the adults that are around you and then when you grow up now because of social media you if you put yourself an image of yourself on the internet it's like open season to be criticized yeah. by anyone and everyone who've never met before and even just walking around If you're not on the internet, just walking around in public, people may say things directly to your face that you've never met before and their opinion shouldn't matter, but they feel emboldened to discuss your body as if it's their problem. And so, that like, I think, Christine, you were mentioning like that sense of like kind of shutdown and shame that comes from being a kid and not knowing how to even stand up for yourself because you've never been taught how um, extends to as an adult, sometimes not. Even recognizing that like, it's not okay that I'm being spoken to this way and internalizing this shutdown of shame. And then of course you're gonna dissociate because it's the only thing you can do to feel safe at that time, right? Yeah, it's a tool.
1: For sure, it's a tool. And sometimes it's survival, you know, like- um, Absolutely. There are ways that you can, you know, try to speak up for yourself. Um, But sometimes when a person makes a judgment about you, Um, and it affects your livelihood. I got, yeah, I was telling somebody, um, my friend last night, actually, that I have these things that have happened to me in my life. And when I start to talk about them, I smile, even though it's horrible, right? Like it's horrendous, but I smile because it's like a disbelief. Like I just laugh and like, I can't believe this happened and I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth, but I had a situation. I was homeless at the time, got a temp job at this organization kind of like good old boys network type situation. It was, at that time, it was paying $14 an hour, which was huge, it was like the early 2000s. And like I said, I was homeless, so I needed money, right? Staying at a hotel and I went in for the job and the men wouldn't even shake my hand. Like I extended my hand to shake and they just looked at me like I was, you know, trash or whatever. And I remember the person I was working with directly that was like kind of training me. She's like, oh, you're doing an awesome job. You caught on really quick. It was like a front desk receptionist type, uh, you know, uh, administrative assistant, you know, type job. And so it was really easy, came easy to me. Um, I went back to my hotel and they were like, we don't want you to come back. <laughs> and I was like, what? And immediately I felt like, you know, racism was at play, obviously, because it was these bunch of these men that just didn't I just didn't feel like I fit anyway but they said it's cuz you're fat it was it's, they said it's cuz of your weight you don't have the image or the we don't want you working at the front desk because you don't you know you're not conveying the image we want to convey with our company and i'm like i need money you know what i mean like you know but like what could i do you know i i i couldn't just um go and nurse my wounds and cry and say the world is horrible you know what i mean like i had to eat that and go figure it out you know i couldn't sue this is texas you know like it wasn't like i had any recourse situations like that and things that happen over and over and over in my life after a while you definitely just say this is how it is and i have no empowerment i have no recourse you know except to deal with what's handed to me and try to make the best of it. But the reason why these things are happening is something that I feel like I'm not in control of. It's something that, you know, I I know people are gonna, you know, they look at me and make judgments about me. I'm a pariah because this is who I am, but somehow I have to survive, you know? And that's what fat people do. We realize when we have friends that talk about weight loss journeys and before and afters, and we look around, You know, people in our own families, everything that we see emphasizes and just tells us that we're unacceptable. How do you survive in a world like that if you can't separate yourself from it and decide that somehow I have to keep going? You know, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. I don't feel well, but I have to survive. That's just our lives. That's
2: how it's always been for me. At the same time, we're being told that it's our fault Yep. and that we can control it. Yeah. So that there's, you know, like it's our fault that we're fat and that we continue to make this choice daily to be fat. And it's the worst so like, thing you could ever be. Being right. fat
1: is the worst thing you could ever be. It's like everybody's fighting this huge battle not to look like and be like you.
2: Constant, A constant battle and that our fatness speaks volumes about other people. Like they said, mm-hmm. you, you know, we don't want you to work here because of mm-hmm. you would be in the front, blah, blah, blah. And yep. you're fat. Like that our bodies now, not only are other people's business, but reflects morals and ethics of other people. I mean, that comes right down to our families saying that, right? Like yeah. our fatness is a failing on their part and it reflects badly on them. Yeah. But it's also at the same time our fault because we can't quote unquote control it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a way to survive without, Dissociating from that no there's not (laughs) i haven't figured it out i mean i'm thinking about your friend in the costco wheelchair right that internalized ableism is not just internalized Mm -mm. this friend is going to get on this motorized cart in costco and people are mm-hmm. immediately going to judge her differently mm-hmm. because she's on that cart. what mm-hmm. she's putting in her basket how she like everything about who she mm-hmm. is and what she's doing and what she's buying now becomes everybody else's opinion or topic to have an opinion on she becomes everybody else's business mm-hmm. so you've got the internalized ableism sure absolutely but that External, like how do we fight the internal ableism when the external is so prevalent? Like we're not imagining it, it's real.
1: And you know what? There's something about fat people. We know when yeah. people are making judges about us, they don't even have to say a word. Now, I've had people like uh, I think Sarah mentioned before. Um, I've had people, I I was on a cart one day in in the grocery store and I came around the corner and this man was like, oh my God, like, he was like, I can't, like, as if he'd never seen anything so grotesque and disgusting, the look on his face, the intonation of his words, it was like, he was flabbergasted, like astounded that I could even exist. Like, what are you here? What are you doing here? And what are we supposed to do with that? That's what I'm saying. And then there are times people just look or they you nudge know, like the elbow, you know like look at that, or people huddle in a corner, you know and sh- 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 you know, and I love messing with people like I've gotten really good at that, but it still hurts, right you still take that on, you don't know? it has an effect on you. what do you do?
0: I'm curious in that in the example of being in the grocery store like how do you continue on with your like grocery shopping? Do you kind of just really just focus on, get what's on the list and, you know, keep moving forward no matter what? Or are you kind of talking to yourself through that process, like sort of coaching yourself, or do you just like completely numb out and like, re- like forget almost the, whatever's happening to you in that moment until later?
2: I think I... it depends where your armor is at for the day. Yeah, how probably. how many spoons and how much armor you have left.
1: I, I know I had a tendency early on, to cry and then be like, well, I got to get, you know, I got to eat. My family has to eat or I got to get what I came in here for. I can't just, I guess in a world where you actually care for yourself or in a world where you could do what comes to mind originally, I probably would have just left the store, you know, and just went away and cried. But that's not my reality. Like I had to finish what I came there for. And this, I've come to, I'd come to grips that this is my life. This is how people still see me. This is how the world sees me in the moment it hurts if i've had a good day and i've had a confident day and things have gone well i could be like i might even mouth off to the dude you know like it just depends on where i'm where i'm at if i'm having a really beat up day and i've caught a lot of flack you know or de- dealing all day you know i might just sit there for a moment and cry like it just really depends but it's happened so much i think um, i was thinking about what Christine had said though about how how we know you know, like you know when the daggers and the looks and the you know, all that stuff is happening. You just know. And whether it's, you know, over or covert, it all of it hurts. And all of it you, you have to absorb, you know, into your into your armor or the lack thereof, you know, like you, you have to cope and deal with it no matter what. And you have to dissociate because like I said, if you don't and you feel the whole thing you might not ever get anything done. You might not, you know, you might not be able to like progress or survive or like just live in the world, you know.
2: Yeah, dissociation is survival in a fat body, and the fatter you are, the more you have to dissociate from your body. You're just sort of this head floating through the world, trying to get mm-hmm. things done, or you're not going to survive.
0: In my own experience with people talking either directly to me about my body, even if it's not overt comment on my size, but just any attention to my body that felt negative or felt like I was being judged. My own response was often to kind of put this like very rigid kind of guard face expression and like task execution get the thing done don't stop to Mm -hmm. talk to people you know execute like a little soldier until you can go then hide and run Mm -hmm. away and cry all your feelings and either mourn or process or whatever needed to happen by yourself because Mm -hmm. no one can possibly understand what this feels like no one can possibly know how much pain you're in (laughs) never let them see you sweat (laughs) Yeah, kind of. And that's not a conscious decision, right? It just, that's just how my brain decided to <laughs> cope with the things. And so I think it's important to note that like how we process and cope with these things is going to vary from person to person based on our own brain situation and our and our past and our history and how we've coped with other stressors. And so for some people, that strong dissociation is really present and for other people, it might show up as like being really combative or being really, you know, high functioning, you know, getting things done because you don't have time to think about how you're feeling. And those are all just survival tools, right? And some survival tools can be more harmful than others, but mm-hmm. they all deserve recognition as what the, as what they are, which is what allowed us to get through the day.
1: I think turning the corner, though, making it clear that dissociation is not a bad thing. It's just what it is, right? Like how you cope with things. I think for our purposes and for movement, the thing that's helped me to be more connected in spite of the ways that I've had and learned to dissociate in my life is feeling movement and realizing, like we talk about all the time, shifting a paradigm from movement used to fix the things that cause me to dissociate it to dissociate into things that serve me and make me feel good or are going to give me value with, you know, for goals that I set or things that I wanna do and really locking into that. Just changing my mindset and that's a process a lot of work community um people we can be honest with to share these things that we're talking about now and just opening up and providing you know ways of thinking that help us become more embodied and not just feel better about ourselves but like really feel better generally like like for example I had a plantar fasciitis flare this week those always scare me because I'm always in this process of trying to get more mobile right like I've had these conversations with myself about things that I wanna do and I'm in the process of like using movement myself, learning how to be more consistent with moving for my own sake. And so whenever something happens around my disability or around my body or chronic pain, I freak out because oh, it's a setback, you know? And all those little things, these stuff that used to play through my head, well, I used to use movement to change my body and to lose weight, all that stuff comes up, right? So I gotta parse it out and like really put everything where it needs to go and um for me this week that looked like buying inserts for my shoes i ordered a boot (laughs) like i have a wheelchair like i'm like whatever i'm not going to allow myself to feel afraid about this because there are things that i can do and i'm going to try whatever i need to do exercises soaking like ice whatever to like get past this and take care of myself. Whereas before I would've been like, you know, I just stayed in that place of, you know what? You're too fat. <laughs> you're having a flare because you're too fat. Maybe you even gained weight. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. This is why you'll always be like, all these things that come to my head and then making a decision, well, you know what? I feel that, I get it, but I'm gonna do what I need to do to make my body feel better. And it was just a choice, you know? And I know it's not always like that with everyone or every situation, but just giving myself the room to be able to do that and to feel my body and for my body to tell me what it needed. A couple of days I used my wheelchair to like give it rest. I did ice, I got bought my boot, I got the inserts. And today it's a lot better, you know? And I'm not saying it's gonna be everybody's circumstance, situation, but I'm so grateful that I listened to myself and didn't get stuck in the place of not listening to what I felt my body needed or even giving myself the space you know to care for myself so that I would get better
2: I know that for me we talk about biased association not a bad thing I the, when I first started therapy as an adult my first therapist just kept talking about how I needed to compartmentalize mm. right I just and i am a notorious dissociator i can dissociate with the best of Mm them i could do it all day i could do it for years without checking in and this was part of why i was in therapy like i wanted to figure out you know i didn't even know how to have a feeling like this is this is really what therapy was about i had dissociated so hard through my entire life to survive Mm -hmm. and then i realized i didn't understand how to be anything but angry my therapist just kept saying, well, you have to compartmentalize these things. Like At the time, I was working at uh, a not-for-profit wellness center, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of homophobic, transphobic, and racism happening in this organization. Mm-hmm. And my now spouse and I at the time were doing a lot to call it out, and this was causing a lot of strife at work and the fat phobia and all of that stuff. And she just kept saying, well, you have to compartmentalize when you go to work. You have to compartmentalize. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? And she would tell me, I'd be like, you mean I need to dissociate? You mean I need need to do exactly what I'm doing? She's like, no, dissociation's bad. Compartmentalizing is good. And I could not marry. Like, those two things were the same to me okay, yeah. so I need to put this aside to survive, is what you're telling me. And she'd be like, yes, <laughs> you need to compartmentalize. I'm like, okay, that's dissociation. Mm-hmm. I refuse to believe that you're telling me to do something that you're first telling me is bad, and now you're like, okay, but if you call it this, it's good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is how you survive and get through. And that was the mm-hmm. first time that I went, wait a second, maybe dissociation isn't bad. Yeah, Maybe it is a real harm reduction tool to get through the day to get through your life and i think as you know that was a few years ago and now i'm a huge proponent of harm reduction in many different topics but as we're talking about um you know fat mystia and in the world and the power structures i don't think there's a way for us to exist and take care of ourselves as fat people without dissociating or compartmentalizing. because at the end of the day i have to really like sort of like that voice you were talking about, Angel, like where you could just get mm-hmm. stuck in that. Well, like maybe I gained weight, maybe I did this. And da, da, mm-hmm. da, da, da. That voice is still going to exist. Mm-hmm. Me dissociating or compartmentalizing doesn't get rid of that voice. That mm-hmm. voice is still on a circle. I just have to choose to like put them in a corner, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, you go sit in your chair in the corner. Mm-hmm. I need you to go over there. I will check back in with you when I have the time and space. Mm -hmm. But for right now, even if all of these things this voice is telling me is true, I still have to survive in this moment. So if all of these horrible things I'm told about myself, like I gained weight and now all of a sudden my foot hurts just out of nowhere, is true, that doesn't change the fact that my foot hurts. I need to do something about it. What else are we going to do besides dissociate from that voice, dissociate from all the things that? that pain does to us. I mean, we're gonna talk about chronic pain, right? Like, pain puts you in a whole different mindset. Mm -hmm. What else are we gonna do with it? We've gotta put it aside. Gotta put it in its place. It needs to go sit at the table and be quiet and like read a book or color and we'll come back. Because at the end of the day, regardless of, you know, all of those voices, the fact is that your foot still hurt. Mm -hmm. And you still need to move through this world. So So what what are we we gonna do?
1: What you're making me think of is that it's maybe the dissociation, it's what happens after. Because I feel like the way you said it, it's like you have a bag of stuff, right? And you're dealing with all the stuff. It's like you're taking everything out of the bag and sitting on the table. And like, this is it. That's the compartmentalizing your therapist was talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, these are all the things, right? But I have to determine which of these things I consider useful right now. And I have to use those things to like, to make my outcome better as I can, as best I can. Right. And so I guess it's what happens after you dissociate. Like what, where do you go after that? That's the real issue. Uh, what do you give credence and what do you pick up to use to help you get where you gotta go, which in my case was, you know, less pain for my foot or whatever it might you plug in, maybe for anybody.
2: I frequently think of my bag of dissociation, like those hot Mm -hmm. Cheeto girl memes. Have you seen those? And she always has that giant purse and she's always pulling stuff out of it. That is what pops up in my head is I've just got this big old purse and I'm like popping stuff out of it and putting it back just to find the one little thing that I need. But I still got my Mary Poppins bag full of stuff. Full of stuff. we are just going to carry it with us. Always.
0: Yep. And when, when you are in a place where there's maybe a little bit less pain or there's a little bit, the voices of all of the things that are telling you that everything about you is wrong are maybe like a little bit quieter. That's I think the time when it's possible, if you want to use other tools to help process how you're feeling and to take care of yourself and dissociation doesn't have to be the only thing at play at that point and that's where when people talk about like they're healing and starting to like really feel like they're in touch with their bodies more and feel like more safe in their bodies that's the that's where that's happening is when they're like oh this was a tool that has helped me and also i can use other tools at this point because i'm able to that's mm. when you
2: got time to clean out the back you yeah. find all that stuff that you left in there.
0: I yes. like that analogy. That's great. What's at the bottom of this bag? <laughs> are there any cookie crumbs? Yes. Are, are there some Oh, look, a bill like, I forgot to pay. Yeah. Cool.
2: There's just always stuff in the bottom of your bag you got to deal with. You just dump it out, mm-hmm. clean it, and move on. But that stuff's going to keep showing up in your bag. No matter how many times you clean it, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of where you are when you're ready to clean out your bag.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Can we... um couldn't we quote you on that? Where are you in terms of cleaning out your bag today? <laughs> it's nice. I'll just make, just make
2: videos of myself with a big giant soap bag, pulling stuff out, yep. mm-hmm. dumping it.
0: Visual, visual aids are very helpful. So I yeah, think Absolutely. Um, can we talk, can we talk about dieting and how that teaches us to dissociate from our needs as well and how that makes it harder to listen to our bodies?
2: Mm. Oh my God, Weight Watchers meetings were like the best place to go to, to learn how to dissociate from your body. (laughs) That's how I learned to sleep through hunger. I'm a notorious napper and I was taught from, I started Weight Watchers at 11, I believe. And that was where I learned that. I learned that you just sleep through it, you'll wake up and you'll feel different. Regardless of the truth of any of it, I would sleep through hunger. And I would wake up not hungry. There's no, no better way to ignore your body than to shut it down. Or, you know, drink water. It'll make you full. No, it won't. It'll make you hydrated.
0: Yeah, that never worked for me.
2: <laughs> no. But, you know, I still, at almost 44, find myself still sometimes doing these things. That's how deeply ingrained dieting tricks for dissociation you're told immediately from the, like you go, you go into a diet questioning willpower and your ability, right? Like going into a diet is already an admission of failure. You're already admitting you can't do this or you can't control yourself without this diet.
0: Not only is your body the problem, but it's not a problem that will resolve itself given its own time. Uh, it is a problem that must be managed, not just managed, but managed aggressively and sometimes to your own harm. People do not even care. They know that it will harm them and they'll do it anyway because of how strongly they believe their body is either broken or wrong or bad or whatever. So yeah, even the decision of like, okay, I'm gonna start this thing, whatever the thing was, it might not have been an even outright quote unquote diet. It might have just been some like arbitrary food rule I had put in place for myself. But as soon as I made the decision to start this thing on whatever date, whether it was immediately or the next day or Monday or at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the next month or whatever arbitrary time I set for myself, which would have been, you know, some sort of magical day that all of a sudden things would fall into line. I would never have problems again. It's like all the noise, all the white noise in my brain just shuts down. Everything gets really clear and everything feels safe because all of a sudden you have this illusion of control. And in that illusion of control includes no noise coming from your body because it doesn't matter what your body is telling you because you already have the solution. You already know what your actions are going to be. So it's like this freedom from having to listen. The work of listening no longer applies. All you have to do is follow the rule. And that's, it's so like, in a way it feels, it's like this false sense of liberation of like, all I have to do is follow the rules and everything will be okay. And what it really is, is meaning there's zero freedom to react to real world problems. There's zero freedom to have any kind of needs as a human being. You're treating yourself as a robot. (laughs) And so of course it's going to fall apart, whether that's in three hours or 30 days or three months. because we're not robots. Yeah, I mean, it's a permission to
1: associate. Yeah. And for me, that was over anonymous. Like everything you're saying. Oh my gosh. I'm just,
2: Oof, yeah. <laughs> I'm a O-A. Oh, hey. Talk about making your body a moral failing. Oh, um, takes the cake on that one.
1: Oh my gosh! Like I'm having pictures in my head of meeting my group, which I I use the, the term loosely at Starbucks because we could drink coffee. That was that was abstinence.
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Will you yep. use terms
1: like abstinence around food? Like what? Ew. Yeah.
2: I think OA is one of the most toxic out there, as well as the the diets that tie your religion into it because they're yeah. taking your direct morality your values your ethics and they are directly not even quietly or incognito using that like Mm. this is a direct moral failure you're failing your god or jesus or whatever your power your higher power i mean we're gonna
0: do a whole episode on religious trauma as relates to this for sure because that's a whole other layer but yeah, these overlap a lot, obviously, yeah. And there's many cults that have very rigid food requirements and it, it's so tragic to see people starving themselves.
2: Yeah, I would say things like Weight Watchers. I mean, I I hesitate to talk about folks like Oprah publicly because it's not entirely my lane, but how devastating is it to see somebody like Oprah? Still, man, like, I, I don't know. Out of the, all the successful women in the world, she always comes up in like the top five. And this still is a thing that defines her. Something like Weight Watcher still defines her.
0: Oh, no. Well, when you've publicly made it your entire like mission in life, and you have such a huge platform and all the money in the world, you can't you can't really go back on that, can you? <laughs> no. I mean, it would be very difficult to. I really feel for her because I'm sure she's had moments of doubt.
2: I, I mean, watching her. Over all of these years, I mean, I can't imagine the pressure on so many levels. And again, one of the reasons I hesitate to talk about Oprah because it's not my lane. And she believes these things, right? Like she believes these things about herself, which is what makes it so powerful in the public mm-hmm. sphere. It mm-hmm. definitely gets to be like, wow, man, if if she can't escape it, how are any of us supposed to escape it?
1: There's so much, so much around that, and even the ways that we uphold people. In our culture, there's so much. I, I plan to talk about it myself, like Oprah specifically, because
2: like hot for it right
1: now, is is and it says so much. And the messaging, I know we understand, but I think as a whole, the world, our culture, does not understand how impactful these messages are and what they—not just that, but what they say about what we believe and what we hold true how they affect us at our core.
2: Yeah, that's a whole topic.
0: So going back to dieting and how that affects us with making it difficult to listen to our bodies. In the same way, Angel, you were talking about how you use movement now to serve yourself and your needs and, and move through all the really challenging thoughts and experiences and kind of reclaim it so that you're not having to be dissociated in order to move your body as Mm -hmm. much as before. I feel like food can be reclaimed in that same way. And we've talked about that in previous episodes. So I'd like to touch on that here. What do you, either of you feel like is maybe like that in-between state where you're kind of coming out of being so dissociated because of being on a rigid diet or even just like, I feel like there's so much fear that causes dissociation when you're like afraid of eating past 8 PM or you're afraid of eating carbs at night. Yeah. yeah, All of this like unwritten rules that you're like, oh, I'm not on a diet, but you're like really super restricted in your brain in terms of how you're thinking about food, which causes the same physiological effects in terms of your nervous system being extremely under stress. So you are in effect on a diet. And at that point, um, it's really hard to listen to your body's cues. So how do we shift, move the dial just a little bit into being able to start hearing what the body says again?
2: I am rebellious by nature. I'm going to go ahead and blame the 90s, being a teenager in the 90s and the riot girl era for that. But I really feel like rebelling against those rules, right? Like, it's like, like just kind of putting your toe in the water. You know what? I'm going to break that rule. Who's going to stop me? And it gives you this kind of like control and power. And and again, this doesn't just happen overnight. You know, we're told in intuitive eating to just throw all the rules out, Mm -hmm. except that that's rules make us feel safe. Boundaries Mm -hmm. and rules make us feel safe and they're there for a reason. So how do we start to play around with breaking some of these unnecessary, harmful rules that we, I don't even want to say that we've put on ourselves because things like don't eat after eight or don't eat carbs at night. Those are told to us by everybody, everywhere, including doctors. So how do we still keep our rules that in boundaries that keep us safe while playing with like breaking these other rules? And they don't have to be all the time, but like, you know what? I'm going to eat dinner at nine o'clock and sort of take on the like rebellious power. Kind of like, you know, damn the man, save the empire. Mm. I don't know if anybody's... See that movie from the '90s, but sort of, you know, just I'm just gonna just gonna be a rebel, and I'm gonna mm. eat carbs at midnight or <laughs> what, whatever wild rule we've taken on is not like I still have food rules for myself that I find myself going, where did that come from? What a weird thing! I, mm. and I and I still do it, like I still have to convince myself it's okay to buy full fat dairy. And then I have to like justify that. Oh, well, of the full fat. And I get to go through all like my Rolodex of nutritional information to justify that because I don't know about y'all, but when I was a kid that was like the big wellness thing, right? Like skim milk and fat free oh, and all oh, of that. Oh, so undoing goodness. even something like that, I still catch myself and then finding myself having to justify it. It doesn't need justification. But I'm like, okay, what do I know about nutrition and food and science? At the end of the day, none of that really matters. Mm. I know that fat-free cottage cheese tastes like garbage in my mouth. I want the full fat. And I shouldn't justify it. So just like, I don't know, be a rebel. I mean, that's worked for me. I like to be a rebel. Which I think anybody who's met me, you know, would not be surprised.
0: I feel like a lot of people do really resonate with that. So I'm glad you shared it. I personally do not resonate with being a rebel. I don't know if it's just because I'm such a freaking little oldest child goody two shoes person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel safe blending in and following the rules. And um, so when for me, what has helped is just questioning, is that really true? Is it really true that after 8 pm like your stomach shuts down and you can't digest anything and everything gets turned to fat and even if it does like is that even really bad like all of the is that really true questions and especially having the internet at our disposal at this point you can find some pretty decent you know if not washed out a little bit scientific information if you search for like five minutes you can learn that it's okay after 8 pm like it's not magically Impossible you mean your day.
2: stomach doesn't have an internal clock I don't. That, yeah. Is that exactly to your time zone? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> like how does it know? Huh.
0: <laughs> is it based on circadian <laughs> rhythm? And if so, you know, like central time zone is like five hours wide. And I found this out recently. This is not related to our conversation at all. But did you know people that live on the Eastern end of your time zone have fewer chronic health conditions and generally report being happier than people that live on the western end of your time zone and it's because they get more daylight hours it's the same number of hours but they get more daylight in the morning right Um, and so something about how that affects your circadian rhythm and how your ability your sleep quality is different and that can affect really big picture things like chronic illness development and stuff like that that blew my mind so all that to say your stomach
2: doesn't shut down at
0: eight o'clock yeah like in the same time even within the same time zone like how is it supposed to know it's based on what your brain is seeing about when the sun came up and when it came down and it was kind of a tangent but (laughs) yeah so for me asking questions and just being like is that really real is that true because if I know within a reasonable amount that that's not true then I can be like oh well I don't have to follow that then I don't necessarily have to swing hard the other way just to prove it although sometimes I do and, and that's totally fine but I don't have to swing hard the other way to feel like I've beaten that rule or like prove that it's wrong. For me, it's just like, oh, confirmed. That is a myth or that is fact checked. It's been busted. Okay. Well, and maybe I have to prove it to myself a few times to like really remember that. But just knowing that it doesn't really mean anything anymore helps me a lot.
1: I've come to see or to learn that so much of what has been established as truth is so subjective like you could see 10 things on the internet that say this is why this is happening and you can find 10 other things to refute that those other 10 things i believe that the system that we operated in as far as medical i've come to understand that it wasn't built for my body (laughs) like it wasn't built based on my body my needs even widely accepted truths in the medical industry don't necessarily apply to me because the testing and all the things that were done to come to these conclusions didn't account for a person who looks like me in any way my color my size or whatever and so i also know that there's data that we can get from our bodies that says you know based upon widely accepted these these rules or whatever that say for example if our blood sugar is too high or too low or you know and that there will be physical ramifications if we don't get those numbers within a particular range and that I've seen in my life you know with my own you know blood issues and heart issues and diabetes and things like that but I've come to the conclusion that outside of those things that are quantifiable I can do whatever I want
2: (laughs) (laughs) and even those things that are quantifiable are only quantifiable for you
1: yeah and I mean how do I know that These, I mean, unless I'm having some sort of, if if I eat something, we talked about this before. If I know that when I eat donuts, my stomach turns and churns just because I can eat donuts and I have every right to do that. I'm not going to do it, you know, but there are goo gobs of things I can eat that I enjoy that I'm going to eat. If I have a literal physical reaction to something, I'm not going to keep doing it because that doesn't serve me. Right. But if if there are things that I want to eat, when I want to eat it, how I want to eat it, I'm going to do it. You know, given what I know about my own my own body, I am I have the autonomy to make those decisions. So in in the full fat, you know, we're eating butter, we're eating you know whole milk. I have gotten almond milk, I've gotten coconut milk, whatever I want to use, how I want to use it, whatever I'm feeling like that day that's what I'm gonna do now obviously it hasn't always been that way right like I told you all about my little box with the zucchini and cucumbers and boiled chicken you know like I've been down that road I get it I listen to all the things I've done all the keto paleo Whole30, oh, whole 30 fat, raw <sighs> region, whole there's even something called salt and oil free like I've done all of it I've done it all and at this point in my life i've just come to the conclusion that all those things that you know people swear by mediterranean diet because the people in there or people in in some place in japan live the longest or whatever like what does that have to do with me like you know what i'm saying like i don't even have that dna like what like why why am i but it's just how we are it's like how we've come to be in our society it's like try this try that this is what you need nobody knows what mean, but
2: me yeah we're told that there's one answer and that one answer will work for everybody except it's, it's, that's not it it's not it it's not even going to work for one person all, the, all time. the time it's just unrealistic the first rule is to realize how much you don't know yeah i tell my clients that all the time i'm like there's a lot we don't know we have some yeah. ideas about things that might possibly be true yeah. maybe i don't know they might be true in this moment but in general uh-huh. It depends. Yeah. And like you said, it's work to always like be
1: discovering, you know, being being open to discover that there maybe I just need to admit that I really do want to lose weight. You know? If that's something that keeps coming up for me, it's worth investigating, you know. Maybe there is something that I'm still doing that I was doing twenty years ago when I was in the throes of restriction or whatever that I'm still doing that I don't realize is a holdover. I can acknowledge that about myself and not feel guilt for it and just you know get curious about it and figure out how to make the adjustment but just admitting these things i think a lot of times is a hard part because like my friend told me yesterday i was telling her about ken being on metformin for his diabetes and she's like oh i just got that but i got it to lose weight it was like the pre-ozempic way you know these uh, diabetic medications have been a way for people to manage their weight in the past and i could have been like are you serious like don't you know me you know like <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that's how people are treated in these spaces, but I'm like, I get it. I understand. I want you to be well. I know. I want you to be to be educated or whatever, but sometimes you just have to you know admit this is where we are and if we have any desire to get somewhere else, realizing that dieting is it's not the way and that it, it's going to cause a lot more harm, but you got to do what you do where you
2: are. Yeah, I think you nailed it with the like being honest with ourselves. Mhm. I, I I think that it doesn't do us any favors to gaslight ourselves into a different answer.
1: Mm-mm.
2: No. I mean, when you're, I'm gonna use your friend in Costco as an example, like I would be surprised if she didn't have run through all those thoughts in her head. Well, if I wasn't mm. that, and if this wasn't a thing, like yeah. I could just do this and this would change it. Like lying to ourselves about that isn't, it, it, zero favors. Like we need to honor our truth and exactly like you said exactly where we are in this moment because this moment is different than other moments
1: and you if you aspire to get to a place you might want to get to a place to where you don't worry about weight loss anymore and that's
2: okay too but you don't have to like yeah great I yeah i can't fake it till i make it anymore it turns out Mm-mm. Mm-mm. i lost that once i hit my 40s yeah
1: i can't either <laughs> <laughs> we've,
0: we've been faking it so long when do we get to make it Exactly. We talked about being told what to think and how to be our entire lives. And if we're just forcing ourselves to think or be a certain way or shaming ourselves for feeling a certain way or trying to deny physically how we're feeling or mentally what we're thinking, gaslighting ourselves into you know saying, no, no I don't really, you know, I, I really am trying to be good in this way. That's just the same shit sandwich as my friend. <laughs> exactly. To like to say. That's not is not doing us any favors to have the same hypocritical standard for ourselves that we're trying to get out from, from everybody else. Exactly. So yeah, part of being able to learn to listen to your body in terms of your you know, physical sensations and also mm-hmm. listening to your, your heart or your mind or what you're thinking you're experiencing is like you said, angel being really honest with yourself mm-hmm. and letting it be open-ended and not necessarily trying to control the outcome. Because when have we actually been able to do that? Thanks for listening to Nourish and Connect Diverse Dialogues. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review and let us know if you learn anything new or if you have a burning question you'd like us to consider answering in a future episode. You can contact us on Instagram at powerup.movementco and you can email Sarah at contact at sarahempowers.com. Now here's the part where you get to move forward with your day, hopefully with some more neutral vibes. I wish you lots of luck with that and I'll see you next time.